Please allow me to introduce Sam Dema. Um, Sam is a best-selling author and a keynote speaker in the education and association sector. Uh, he co-founded the volunteering organization called Pick Waste, delivered two tech talks, and uh, as a result of his work, he was rewarded the prestigious Queen's Platinum Jubilee Awards. He's also been featured in many well-known media such as the Globe and Mail, CBC, CTV, and Breakfast Television, and so on. And his recent best-selling debut book, Empty Your Backpack, has been called a must-read for young dreamers. And uh, personally, Sam has been a huge inspiration for me. I remember, you know, there was one time I was really lost in life, and I reached out to Sam, and Sam was, you know, tremendously helpful, helpful in sharing his personal stories and guided me out of uh, that difficult time. Um, and uh, I always see Sam, you know, posting a lot on social media, um, and then that that always gave me a boost of motivation whenever I saw them. Um, but yeah, like really glad to have you on, man. I'm honestly honored, Frank. Thank you so much <laughs> for the kind words, man. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, I want to start with your most recent adventure. Um, so I saw in one of your TikToks that um, you said when you just started speaking, you imagine yourself having one speech per month. And in the past few months, uh, you've go across the country, went to five different provinces, did 87 presentations and influenced more than 40,000 students by this movement. Uh, it's unreal, man. Um, I just want to know, how, how, how are you feeling right now after this you know, exciting and meaningful journey for you? How are you feeling in the moment? Thank you for the question. It's crazy thinking about my past intentions and aspirations. I had a whiteboard hung on the wall in my bedroom, split into 12 sections with each month. And every time I booked a speech in that month, I would put a little mark. And at first it was one speech a month and it slowly grew from there. It's now been six years that I've been delivering presentations in schools, five years professionally and more formally. We just wrapped up the Empty Your Backpack speaking tour across Western Canada. How am I feeling excited and hopeful there's obviously always more work to do, and the journey was phenomenal. It filled my soul and also the soul of the team that I brought with me across the country. I think it had a very positive impact on the students and schools in which we stopped and operated. Um, but interestingly enough, after every accomplishment or uh, achievement, there's a sense of lack in certain situations. So I had a little bit of a downtime over the past couple of weeks, took a month off social media just to cleanse my own mind and reflect and think about what it is I want to bring to the world moving forward and how to slightly shift maybe the priorities in my life towards some other meaningful things that maybe were lacking a little bit when I focused so heavily on work. But overall, overall, very hopeful, very energized, and so grateful for the opportunity. Um, that's amazing, man. And if you don't mind, I want to delve deeper into like how you felt in the past month. Because um, I know for, for a speaker and especially the movement that you created, there's a lot of you know excitements on the journey, speaking to different students and doing shows after, one after another. And I could imagine you know the, um, the lows that you're feeling after it's done. Um, and uh, you know, what, what was that like? And, and uh, you know, what was the past month like for you? So for context, most of my speaking happens on the school calendar from September until June because I operate ma majority in schools, majorly in schools. Um, and so when schools close, I am forced to stop speaking because schools aren't open and there's not as many opportunities. Um, and so every year around June, things are a little weird because I go from working a hundred miles an hour to 
not being, uh, not being, I can, I can contact teachers, but I wouldn't personally reach out to an educator in the summertime because if you, if you do, they'll probably send you an email back saying I'm on a break right now and I'll kill you if you send me another email. (laughs) So I personally stopped reaching out to schools in June and take a break in the summertime. So anyway, all that to say in regular years around June, it's already challenging enough. Uh, this year we did 87 speeches from March until June. So I went from going hundred miles a minute, being the busiest I've ever been before to doing absolutely nothing uh, work related. And it, it always causes this confusion and self doubt of negative thoughts. Is this going to continue? Is this going to, uh, is, is, is there still schools that want me to come and speak? And I know that it's the summertime, so there's going to be a break, but I go through it every single June. Um, and so I would say at first it's a little bit of worry and self-doubt, but this situation was a little bit different. I also was dealing with some health challenges after the tour. We really pushed our bodies and I had, I had some issues with my mouth that I've recently just figured out and got some medication for and everything's great, but I really pushed myself. Um, and it's given me a lot of insight into how I would do a tour in the future and arrange things slightly differently. One of the other big challenges was managing a team. And so I had a lot, I spent a lot of time in the past, past month just reflecting on management skills and becoming a better leader and what I would do differently next time to ensure it's an even better experience for the people that I bring and for myself. Uh, and so the, yeah, the last 30 days have been, have been challenging and I've dealt with those emotions by returning to the habits and routines that fill my cup. Things like meditation and working out, spending time with my grandparents, which is actually a big one for me. And so identifying things in your life that fill up your cup and spending time doing those is, I think, very helpful. At least it has been for me. Um, do, you, do you feel like um, after 30 days of reflections, you know, and, and going through all these mental challenges that, you know, it, it, it's been putting yourself in a better place to get ready for the next journey? Are you feeling more energized and, uh, you know, get ready to roll on the next chapter. A hundred percent. A little yeah. bit of my reflection was spent talking to mentors and reading some books on topics that I felt I was struggling with. One of them being overall happiness. Okay. Externally, people see me checking all the boxes saying I wanted to do X and I did it. And it's happened many times where I've accomplished something and I felt a lack. And after I accomplished it, I felt a lack. And I was reading a book, um, called the almanac of naval ravikant ah, naval is my favorite person like he, he inspired a lot um you know he, he was yeah you can explain you know what you learned yeah, yeah i resonate with you <laughs> i'm glad that he's also yeah. an inspiration of yours more recently yeah. one for myself he has a whole section of his book dedicated to happiness and one of his core tenets is that like happiness is our default state as human beings when we have an absence of external desires and he has this belief that desires are contracts that we write to ourselves to be unhappy until we have what it is we say we want. And so often in my life, especially when I was young and growing up, I always had these external desires of athletics and performing at a high level. And it was almost as if I, as almost as if I was teaching my brain that if I didn't achieve those things or have those things that I, I couldn't, I couldn't give myself permission to just be happy. Um, And that was a big breakthrough moment for me of no, like showing up every day is the success. And these are things that I know, but when you're going through the journey, sometimes you forget or need to be reminded of. And that was one of my, my big learnings over the past couple of weeks to just return to a state of being and not desiring. 
And for that reason, I think I'm extremely excited and prepared for the future. Uh, I have big goals that I'm working towards, but after I set them, I let them go, double down on systems that I think will move me forward, and then allow the chips to fall where they may. Um, I'm really uh, happy that you mentioned, and I was also currently reading a book. Um, it's uh, about Stoicism. So it's a philosophy of, you know, um, in the ancient Greek area where how they practice a certain you know, believe so that they can optimize their happiness for life. And uh, for Stoics, they categorize, you know, things into three categories. So one, uh, one type of thing is that you have no control over, for example, you know, what the weather be, will be like um, the mm -hmm. next day. So for those type of things, you should not spend any effort or thought uh, into that because there's you have no control. So it will only upset you if it's, you know, not at your expectation. And there's a second thing, which is, you have complete control over and you can set goals for those. And, and I think that's amazing. Like if, if you can, you know, set goals and achieve those things that you have complete control over, um, then you'll be happy if you achieve them and it's possible that you can achieve them. And the third thing, which I think is challenging when people mixed up is the things that they do not have complete control over, but they, their action can have an impact on the final results. For example, mm. um, like uh, in your case, you want to do like just, this is just an example. You want to do 85 presentations um, and influence like a million students. But that is a number that you probably couldn't control completely, but might have some influence over. So if you ended up influencing a million students, of course, you'll be very happy because it met your expectation. But if you're not ended up influencing a million, you might feel even less of yourself or not as happy. So uh, instead, what the Stoic uh, suggests is that you uh, reposition your goal for those that you for those things that you do not have complete control over you adjust your goal so that you can have complete control over for example uh, if you're going through a tour you would say my goal is to do the best that I can to present to students and to put 100% of my energy to influence them so this is a goal that you can have complete control over and if you uh, accomplish that then you'll be very happy instead of focusing on that external goal that you do not have complete control over. So, you know, I, I think that was one of the things that really hit me and, and uh, you know, inspired me. And, and I'm, I'm really glad that you read it through another book from uh, Naval. I think that that is, uh, you know, a golden approach to, to see how to be happy. Right? I appreciate you sharing, Frank. I'm going to carry that in my backpack. Uh, for sure. Um, yeah, we saw all your, you know, happy moments when you're presenting um, in the... Uh, on the tour, but uh, I also saw some, you know, videos that you, you were saying that, you know, sometimes it gets lonely because uh, you are driving by yourself, you know, far away from home, living in a hotel for such a long time. So I wonder, you know, what were you thinking when you were driving through the country, uh, feeling lonely and in the hotel and how, what was the thing that you were doing and uh, thinking during that uh, time? Yeah, great question. I was very fortunate to have the team with me on this trip. Previously, I would travel by myself, stay in hotels by myself, and be alone until the speech and then returning home. This time around, I had three others travel with me who kept me company, kept me laughing. We'd have conversations every day, which was nice, but it didn't stop the fact that I was missing my family and other friends at home and um, when I was speaking about loneliness in the videos that you would have watched online, I wasn't even only speaking about the tour, but just the lifestyle of speaking in general. You really spend a lot of time by yourself 
Um, and there's a lot of transitions from super high energy moments with thousands of people to empty hotel rooms by yourself. You know, you go to an event and there's a thousand kids and the energy is crazy and you finish the event and you go into a hotel room and it's silent and it's just you. And it, this transitions happen hundreds of times over the year and it's sometimes difficult to deal with. The way that I deal with it is by calling people in my life whether that's family members or friends back home and just check in on them and see how they're doing. And they don't even realize, but my phone call to them to check in is also helping me. I think we're such social creatures and maintaining relationships and building connections is so important. I was listening to a podcast episode the other day on the diary of a CEO. And there was a gentleman talking about uh, seven minutes toward like happy lives. And one of the biggest ones was maintaining relationships with important people in your life. And so doubling down on that has been a very important aspect of my life during tour and afterwards, like right now. Um, and I'm trying to prioritize it because what is success without people to celebrate it with? And um, if having a phone conversation with someone in your life is meaningful for you and it's helpful, it's like, why not take those 15 minutes and make that call? Um, so some of the thoughts that went through my mind during the tour were difficult and it was conversations with people in my life to help me overcome them nice and uh i guess you have a better grasp of how to deal with those more difficult life uh, difficult times since you've been through so many of them but what do you keep yourself occupied listening to audiobook or just draining in your thought or listening to music yeah uh, i would say i always return to habits that fill my cup or feel good or make me feel good exercise yeah. meditation yoga yeah. yoga is a daily practice now uh, listening to audiobooks, making phone calls to my grandparents. If I call my Italian grandmother, I know that she'll talk for two hours so she can take a big <laughs> chunk of time. Um, and it's not even that there's so many hours to fill. It's just that the time away from home is challenging yeah. um, because I want to be around my family. And I also am at a stage in my life where I'm excited about getting into a relationship with somebody Nice. Because I think there's that's a beautiful part of life. And um, not having that sometimes was a challenge because I wanted it. And that goes back to the beginning of our conversation, talking about having external desires and, yeah. you know, <laughs> almost choosing an unhappy state of being if you don't have something. But I'm excited about the possibility of getting to a relationship. Um, and it's a part of my life that I'm focused on right now. Amazing. Um, that That's a good segue. I actually, because I, I don't think you talked a lot about your relationship on your social media. You talk about your, you know, daily routines and, and uh, your speaking tour and how you're feeling and advice for others. But I think relationship is also a very core part of us being a teenager. Because, um, you know, that's something that we never experienced before, that feeling. And also that is a challenging journey because we've never been in a relationship before. Um, and, uh, you know, would just love to, you know, explore some of your, uh, you know, past relationships. I, 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 um, I know you've been in a few relationships before and then you've, there's a long gap between now and then, um, for me personally, I think, you know, what my previous relationship taught me is to, um, you know, getting more understanding about myself. Cause I, I, I didn't know that I could be, um, so mad, um, in a situation like that and, um, and after a long time uh, being reflecting, I realized that it's just my internal insecurities that I projected uh, on another person um, so that I made myself that that really angry. 
Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be very curious to, you know, to learn more about any reflections on your previous relationships, any growth, and how do you look at, um, you know, a relationship um, for a young person in their 20 years old? I think it's something you can aspire to, to have or want, but it has to happen naturally. I think the thing that I did that helped the most was make a list of all the things I desired in a future partner. Um, and not like matched up people with my list, but the, the, thing I, the thing I learned from my first relationship was you have to have your foundational values, values align. If your foundational values don't align, it causes a lot of challenge and, and arguments that would be avoided if, you know, you had an honest conversation with yourself and said, Hey, we're just very different people and that's okay. And if you don't have a list of what you're looking for and your values, it's really hard to compare it to somebody else. And I think my first relationship taught me that having a list of values and making sure they're aligned is very important. It also taught me that being clear in your communication and um, willing, being willing to have uncomfortable conversations is extremely important. You know, you're two human beings from totally different past life experiences and sometimes um, conversations are all you need to get over a challenge or a problem. Um, and, and just taking the perspective that it's you and your partner against the problem, not you against your partner. You know, uh, there's a disagreement. So you two are talking about the disagreement, not yelling at each other. And, and taking that perspective has been really helpful in future relationships. But I think more than anything, not focusing on finding the relationship focusing on building yourself, pursuing your passion, um, and, and pursuing your own personal development, creating a list and then navigating through life. And when you find someone that matches all the things on your list, maybe give that person, you know, some of your time and energy and see if it goes somewhere. And that's how I've kind of looked at it since my first uh, relationship. And just recently I met someone and I think she's, nice. I think she's a, I think she's a serious prospect, but we'll see. <laughs> Has value been aligned? <laughs> Bro, she checked all the boxes. I told her. I, oh. I, was, I was like, hey, like, no, no pressure. But like, you checked all the boxes. I don't know if you like, knew that I had them, you know? Uh, but, but how do you, like, here's the, here's the funny part. It's like, if you don't have a list, how do you know if someone actually meets what you're looking for? You don't. You're going blind. So it's such a simple exercise, but I think it's so important. Um, but, but love, sometimes for me, it's very complicated you know, maybe you have a list of boxes that you want to check off, but when you met that person, I completely threw the box away. Like, you know, <laughs> I just have that feeling that I, yeah. you know, that I so attracted to, I do not care about those boxes. Well, it may, may be good to bring it back and be more rational, but I don't think love is rational at all. <laughs> I, I would, um, I would agree. And I would say it has to be a mix of both. It's not a business yeah. interaction. Um, but allowing your emotions to dictate the entire experience brings me right back to my first relationship. I was so quote unquote in love with this person. Um, right. but from a values perspective, I knew I, I couldn't live with this person forever. At least the experience I was having, I got to the point where I was so stressed out every single day. I couldn't even sleep. Uh, and it's mm. because we just had some foundational differences. So I would say, you know, you must fall in love with the individual and if they check off the boxes as well, it's like, damn, this is a, this is a good mix. Um, but I mean, there's so much beauty in, in, in just falling in love and having that experience. So 
don't be a hermit by yourself in a room until someone you meet meets every single criteria. And I'm not saying make a list of 75 things because you might never find that person. <laughs> But you can have some standards for yourself, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and and uh, I want to go back to the difficult conversation part, because I remember when I was emailing you, um, I was struggling with, you know, having difficult conversation. I, I reflected on my previous relationship. A lot of the time, the problem can be resolved or at least eased if I made the decision to have those difficult conversations. However, those conversations are so hard uh, to take the first step in because, you know, our ego might be in the way, you know, like we don't want to be the one that bring up the tough conversation because it's just so hard to go through. Um, I wonder, you know, throughout the years, what have you learned about, you know, having tough conversations and what can we do to make sure that the thing happened rather than dragging it on for a long time? Tough conversations don't get any easier. But that's what I've learned. As you get older, you still don't want to have them. <laughs> but I think you start to realize that the sooner you have them, the quicker you can return to a state of peace of mind. And that's the, that was the biggest learning for me. Even on tour, I had to have tough com conversations with the people I was working with and the team that I had built because we had different expectations and we had different ideas. We had different lifestyle habits and we were all living together and driving together and i knew that if i waited on a conversation then it would take up space in my mind every single day until i built up the courage to have it the other thing is the quicker you have the difficult and tough conversation the other person can also move on especially in relationships typically when you have something you really want to talk about but you're choosing not to the other party can often feel it intuitively that something's off. You don't, you know, you don't seem this, <laughs> you don't seem the same, Frank. Is there anything you want to tell me? And so yeah. I think it's actually respectful for the other party and it's self-respecting to yourself when you have the difficult conversation as soon as possible. So the first thing I would say is they don't get any easier, but as you grow older, you'll realize the sooner you have it, the better it is for yourself and others. When having a difficult conversation, I try my best to not use the word I. Um, if I don't need to, when talking about the other person's actions or activities, you know, I, I can say things like, it seems, it seems like, or it feels like, but I don't want to attack the other person and say, I think you did this, or I think you did that. Um, because then the other person feels like they're, def they have to defend their point of view or defend themselves. Um, so making it as genuine as possible and, and just prefacing the conversation by saying, Hey, this is going to be a difficult conversation. And I know you're not going to, you know, you might not enjoy this conversation. And honestly, I probably won't either. But I think it's a conversation that we have to have uh, to move forward. Uh, just letting the other person know before you jump into a difficult topic is also helpful because it, it, it kind of sets the scene that you're on their side. And, you know, as difficult as this might be, you're going into it together. Um, I think those are two things that I that I keep in mind whenever something comes up that I know needs to be addressed is let me address it. Let me be respectful about it. Let me try and do it as soon as possible, uh, just so we can both move on with our lives. Mm. Is there and hopefully any preparation? A yeah. Is there any preparation before you going into it? For example, because it's very easy to get frustrated or get you know, mad if the other person's reaction wasn't what you're expected. And you know, do you have any things that you do to prepare yourself before going into a difficult conversation? That's a great question. I don't have any set 
routine before I go into a difficult conversation, I might create a couple scenarios in my mind of what mm. the other person might say when I say certain things and pre <laughs> kind of like pre-plan some ideas or questions that I could ask at those points in the conversation. That's if it's a really important call or you're being very strategic. But I think what's even more important than planning ahead of the call is being present during the conversation mm. so that you can actually listen to understand the other person's perspective. So you can actually listen to ask more insightful questions. The goal of a conversation, a difficult one, is to not, I mean, not only influence the other person um, to your way of thinking, but to understand their way of thinking and to see how you're your ideas could coexist or you could come to a resolution. And so the more information you could gather, the better you listen, the easier it is to come up with a win-win situation. Um, so I would say maybe just remind yourself to be present and to try your best to be at peace. Cause you're right. It's very easy to get angry and upset, but anger and, and upset is not going to move you closer to a resolution. So I would just try and keep that in mind as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, I want to go back to your uh, your book. Um, so your book name is Empty Your Backpack. And, uh, you know, I, I love the message. And a lot of the time that, you know, uh, people, especially in the younger age, were respected by external opinions uh, and words that were said by others. But um, I, I do experience that, and I still experience that quite a bit, but um, less or so nowadays. But um, what I experience more um, is the backpack that I put on for myself rather than mm. other people's opinion. Um, so, so, so for example, like, you know, I, I set a goal for myself and it's a ambitious and I, I am confident that I can achieve it. But during the process, there's usually a lot of pressure that I give it to myself or, you know, the burdens that I put on for myself. Um, and that's quite um, draining uh, a lot of the time. Uh, I'm not sure if you experienced that as well. So, um, instead of emptying uh, your backpack from others' opinions, how do you empty your own backpack that you put on for yourself? I think the best way is through education. When I'm mm. feeling overwhelmed or I need to shift my beliefs or my perspective, I read books of people I, I'm inspired by or think and believe that I can learn from. And repack their beliefs in my backpack to shift the way I'm thinking about myself and my goals in the world. Perfect example is right after the end of the tour. And I was putting all this pressure on myself about what was coming next and what it, I was supposed to feel like after it ended. And I didn't have those emotions. So I was feeling upset and a little bit down. And it was through reading books that I was able to kind of shift the beliefs that I was putting on myself. Um, I also think spending time with people who wholeheartedly believe in you is really important. And for me, that's some of my best friends, that's mentors. And I can tell them some of the things that I'm thinking and they'll course correct me live on a phone call and say, Hey, don't use those words. You know, that's not true. I know you. And, and they'll kind of talk me out of believing certain things about myself. So I would say through education, reading books, uh, remembering that you're always a student yourself and can benefit from learning. Uh, and then also like having a solid group of people in your life uh, to help you identify when you're self-sabotaging so that you can move forward. I think those are the two ways that I empty my backpack on my own opinion. Do, do you still have like a heavy backpack on your, in your back that you put on your side? I think you mentioned uh, about, you know, what's next. It, it's quite um, stressful for you. 
Um, is there anything else that you're, that's something you want to shake it off? <laughs> I've made a big shift in the past month um, yeah. about what I'm prioritizing in my life and what I'm extremely excited about and where I will and will not spend time moving forward. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I've always said yes to almost everything in my life. And mm. in this next phase of my business and life, the default answer is no, um, mm. unless it falls in like three very specific buckets. And one of them is, and the most important one that's going to be in my life is, is setting aside time for family, friends, and relationships. The second mm. bucket is work. And the third bucket is my physical health. And if they don't really like fall in those three things, I won't be very inclined to say yes. And, you know, someone could say, well, that sounds like it's everything in life. And the thing that uh, it, the thing that's different is in the relationship building aspect of my life and spending time with family and friends, every single one of my friends said, hey, can we go grab a coffee next week? <laughs> uh, if every single one of my you know people I'm connected with on social media said that, I would have coffees for the rest of my life. Um, and so having the courage and also the uh, respect for myself to say, Hey, I would love to meet with you, but at this stage in my life, um, I'm only spending my time with like very close friends and family or on my health or on my business, but I would still love to support you. If you have a question, send me an email and I'll answer it that way for you. Uh, so I can still like give people a little bit of the time they're looking for, but not overcommit myself and burn myself out. Um, and so anyway, I'm shifting my definitions of success and spending all my time in those three areas, but allowing myself to like be happy and have fun and, and realize that, you know, the success will come and, and things will happen whether I stress myself out about them or I don't, as long as I commit to a system and I show up every single day and I'm doing that. And so things will continue to happen. Um, so yeah, I, I don't feel like my backpack is that heavy right now, but what I know about life is that it comes in waves and maybe a month from now, my backpack will be feeling very heavy. Uh, and in those moments I'll remind myself that that too will pass and I'll keep doubling down the things that make me feel good. And I guess that's life. Did you feel inclined to say no before this transition? Um, cause, cause I know saying yes, it's a bit easier than saying no. Um, like, yeah, it's a big change of, of, of shift of mindset for you. Um, yeah, it, just, yeah. It's funny because I knew about it and people talk yeah. about it and I even <laughs> talk about it, but I never practiced it fully. Right. Uh -huh. there, there was people that would ask me for my time. And even though deep down in my heart and my intuition, I wanted to say no, mm. but I still said yes, because I convinced myself that was the respectful thing to do. And really I'm, what you're doing when you say yes to something you don't want to do because you think it's respectful to the other party is you're disrespecting yourself. Right. So I've made a promise to myself that I won't say yes to things anymore. If my intuitive feeling is, is a no, my intuitive feeling is a no, I am sorry, but <laughs> life, life is so limited and we only have so much time and you can very politely say no, you don't have to be disrespectful. You don't have to be hurtful. Um, for example, I had someone reach out to me very recently who said, Hey, I'm in Toronto. I would love to do a lunch and ask you some questions about the book writing process. And I had met with this person already and had a two hour phone call and gave them lots of information. Mm. And my intuition told me, no, I don't want to meet with this individual and have a two hour lunch and leave my home and change my schedule to go and share information. 
And so I politely responded, hey, I'm so excited about your book. It sounds like you're getting close to the end of your writing process. I can't wait to read it. Uh, you've done such hard work, and I'm grateful that our first call was very helpful for you. At this stage of my life and business, I'm not setting aside too much time for lunches and calls unless it's related to family, like very close family and friends, my own personal health, or uh, moving forward th certain things in my business. Uh, with, with that being said, if you have additional questions about the book process, please send me an email here and I'll get back to you in a timely manner. If you're mad at me for that message, that's, that's not on me. That's, yeah, that's your own yeah. baggage, you know, because yeah. we have to all protect our time in certain ways in our life or else we're not living our own life. We're living everybody else's intentions and desires for us. Um, but I still struggle. Yeah. Even like saying this on the podcast, I still struggle. <laughs> I, I still struggle with it because I feel some part of me feels bad, and I'm trying to get yeah, rid of that emotion bad. because there's there's no need to feel bad. There's no need to feel bad. The other thing I'll share really quickly yeah. is that when you say yes to something, you don't actually realize or know what you might be saying no to. Mm, you know, a couple of times in my life, I've said yes to things that intuitively I didn't really want to say yes to, and then other opportunities came up that required okay. the same slot of time in my life. And I said, damn, if I had just said no to this thing that I actually didn't really want to do in my life, I would have had this opportunity to do something that I'm actually genuinely excited to do. So when you say yes to something, you're saying no to everything. And the scary part is if it's, if it's in the future, you don't actually know what you're saying no to. <laughs> you could be saying no to something 10 times more exciting. And not that it's a competition for your time, but again, our time here is so limited. And time is the one resource that nobody gets back. People can lose mm. money and get it back. You know, you can lose health a little bit and even improve your health. But time once spent is gone. And for some reason, we're not told to value it. It's like yeah. we're, not, we're not reminded to value it enough as I think we should be. And I haven't valued it enough. And in this next phase of my life, I'll be valuing my time uh, extremely high because it's, it's valuable to me. It's all I have, you know. Um, so, but but I think yeah. one thing that's very interesting is that we a lot of the time convince ourselves to do the things that we didn't want to do, mm. even though our intuition tells us that's not the thing to do. Um, I think it's actually very good to trust your intuition because um, your feeling is a direct reflection of all your previous experiences and what they see as the current thing as making decision right now. Um, so th that might be more accurate than your own mind currently logically thinking. Yeah. And sometimes when you say yes, it's you convincing yourself that this, you know, doing certain thing could possibly lead to me, lead to some good thing that can bring to me. But usually that's not true. So, so I think it's a great process just to trust your intuition because that might be the most accurate and most beneficial thing that you could do. I would also say there are things that you probably need to do that emotionally you don't want to. And that's totally, <laughs> di that's totally different. Like for example, right. in business, if you want to make sales, you have to reach out to people and maybe you have a little bit of laziness and you wake up and you're like, ah, oh, I don't want to reach out to 20 people today. That's not your intuition saying don't do that. And you shouldn't, you shouldn't listen to that. Um, but, but I'm talking more so when people make requests of your right. time, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when other people make requests of your time, before you say yes, it's, you're allowed to say, can I, I'm going to think about this. I'll let you know. I'm going to think about this and I'll let you know in the next 24 hours. And then you sit with it and ask yourself, is this something I genuinely want to do? Is it related to the three big buckets of my life? 
is there a way to get this person what they desire from this interaction without providing a three hour experience, like sending an email? Um, and so, yeah, I think there's, there's value in listening to your intuition when people make requests of your personal time, but when it's related to like a goal or a dream you have, you're going to have to do things that you don't want to do. And that's a totally different conversation. I just want to clarify that so that the yeah. students listening know that they're going to have to do things they don't want to do. Yeah. Um, and that's just a part of life. Yeah. And I'm really happy that, you know, you start to think about this more deeply and, you know, time is the, the, the biggest asset that we have. So we should do everything that we can in our power to protect it so that, you know, you can use your time in the best of your ability. Um, so, yeah, I'm really happy that you were thinking about that. And uh, hopefully there's more no's than yes in the future. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully uh, I'm giving the more no's, but, <laughs> yeah. but it's a part of life. And I appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and yeah, and uh, I also watched one of your videos where you talk about, uh, I think you're pretty, uh, have a very strong opinion on this, which is, you know, you create your passions. Um, they're not something that you can find. They're something that you do every single day. I, I, I went through a period in the last, you know, uh, I, I went to uh, the US, San Francisco for three, three weeks. Nice. And then I was seeing a lot of, you know, entrepreneurs, like the, the most uh, talented, the smartest guys in the, uh, in the planet in Silicon Valley. And I was seeing a lot of the cool stuff that they're doing. And, and one person that really made me think is, you know, a person that lived above me um, in the hostel. And he was so passionate uh, about developing AR and VR. And uh, I asked him, if you have $100 million today, what would you do? He was like, I'll still do the same shit. I'll still be developing this AR VR technology. And that hit me so hard that, you know, he identified that's his passion and he loved it so much. So after I came back, I went into a period where, you know, I'm just thinking. I I didn't know what I really want to spend my, you know, rest of my life doing. And then that was a really not great period because instead of doing something, it made me really inactive. You know, mm. I refuse to do anything because there's so many different options that I can go after. And I ask myself, what is my passion? And and after, you know, three weeks, you know, a few weeks ago, I realized that's probably not good because I shouldn't be doing something. You know, if I do something, I might find something that I like. If I don't, I can switch course. Um, the most dangerous thing for me to do is, is inaction. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm curious why you you know, have very strong opinion about that and, and, and posting about it and want to share this message. How did you came up with that quote or what was your thinking behind it? Yeah, I think finding is leaving it up to luck. Like, you know, am, am I going to stumble upon something? This person that you met who loved VR and AR likely built their passion for VR and AR after trying something with it or playing with the technology. So they didn't, they didn't find it. They created an opportunity for them to try a new experience and then realize they enjoyed it and kept pursuing it. Um, so I think you're right. Like the, the way you create a passion is by trying new things. It's by getting involved. It's by saying yes to new experiences and opportunities. And when something tickles you and excites you, then you, you, you spend time you know, on it every single day. And the thing I think that's really important to remember is that we tend to like things that we're good at. <laughs> mm. uh, I, I tend to be passionate about things that I'm good at. Yeah. Um, I think most of the world operates in this way. 
or at some point, it seems like people are good at the things that they they're passionate about because they do them every single day. And if mm. you do something every single day and you get good at it, um, the world's going to assume that you like it and you enjoy it. And you probably will too, because you're proficient at it or you're able to push things out at a higher level. Um, I was passionate about soccer, yeah. uh, but I created it by showing up to a field every single day and kicking a ball. Mm. The mm. more I showed up, the more I enjoyed the sport because the better I was at it. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think it's not something that you find, but you, you create by trying new things. And when something excites you, you continue spending time on it. And then you build a skill for that thing. And then it becomes even more enjoyable because now you're skilled at it. And just that cycle just continues. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can you, you know, just share with the audience, how, how did you fall in love or see speaking as your passion? Was there like a moment that you click or just, you know, gradual build up saying, oh shit, I, I'm really enjoying it. I'm really liking it. Speaking is my passion. Like want to hear your story on that. Yeah, absolutely. When I was in high school, I started a volunteer organization. We needed volunteers. I asked my principal to deliver a five minute presentation at the end of a pre-existing monthly assembly. I stood in front of the entire school, delivered a quick story. Heart was beating out of my chest. It was absolutely terrible. I got 60 some signups on a blank piece of paper at the back of the room for new volunteers. And it lit me up. I was like, oh my goodness, this is so cool. I was able to get volunteers. I kind of enjoyed the experience speaking on stage. I was very nervous, but I want to do it again. And that year I did 40 free presentations. And after doing the 40 free presentations, I started to like develop a little bit of a knack for it and a desire mm-hmm. to do more of it. And mm-hmm. I started looking into videos and how to improve myself. I joined a speaking club called Toastmasters near my house to practice the skill. I joined an association called Caps. And so for me, it started out of necessity. We needed, we needed volunteers. And so I started speaking and after I tried it, I realized how much I enjoyed it and then decided that I wanted to keep doing it from there. So, um, I think the passion, you find the passion after experimentation, Mm. you know, I tried speaking because we needed to do it and realized that I liked it and then decided to keep doing it. Nice. Um, I think personally, I have a, a clear picture about passion. I'm not really worried about it that much. Yeah. But there, there's a question that I ask myself, which I don't think I figured out, which is purpose. Mm. <laughs> um, I think purpose is quite different from passion. Uh, purpose is almost seems like a goal or a mission or like a calling that you have. Um, you know, I went on a silent retreat, <laughs> quite funny, uh, two oh, weeks nice. ago. Yeah, I, I was just there with my pen and book and no time, no phone, no food whatsoever, just to reflect. And um, I thought about purpose, you know, I think purpose, it could be a goal, it could be a, a changing stuff. Like, for example, if, if I'm a, a speaker, my, my purpose might be to inspire all the students to, you know, be more productive and stuff like that. But um, if there's no career or things that you're doing, um, can you have a purpose? Like, what is your purpose right now? Like, do do, do I think you want to, also in one of your podcasts, you mentioned like you can have multiple purposes. You know? well, what's your perspective on purpose? Yeah, that's a good question. I think also it's important to note that perspectives and beliefs change all the time. So yeah. what I share now may be different than what I shared years ago. And hopefully it'll be different than what I say 10 years in the future. Um, I think my purpose right now is to become the best, most valuable version of myself. So that I could, could, I could pour more value into the people that I want to serve in the world. Um, 
Sometimes creating a massive purpose for your life adds so much unnecessary pressure. I read in, again, Naval's book that um, sometimes putting ourselves on a pedestal or thinking about how important our life is, uh, is counterproductive because we think that it's, it's a dire situation and we need to make sure that our work's amazing when in reality, three generations from now, even the most famous individuals, five generations, 10 generations from now will be totally forgotten. Um, he, he said, think about your work and your life as building a sandcastle and like mm. the wave comes and washes it away after you build it. <laughs> you know, it's like, it could be a pessimistic perspective, but it can also be a freeing one. Mm. It's like, play, play, have fun, create yeah. things that make you happy and excited. Um, but don't add this unnecessary pressure. And so, you know, in the past, I would have said my purpose is to speak to millions of students and so much pressure, so much pressure, so much unnecessary pressure. Now, my purpose is to just be, you know, be and become the most valuable version of myself so that I can, so I can be of value to others. And I think if every single person had a, a purpose like that, what a beautiful world we would live in. That's amazing. I, I think we should really differentiate purpose and goals. Goals can be very specific so that yeah. it's actionable. You can actually accomplish yes. those. But purpose, if you make it too specific, it, it, it brings too much, you know, backpack <laughs> on it yourself. Yeah. yeah. So, the, the, so, it so just, actually, it just, it just came to mind when you were saying that. Sorry to cut you yeah. off. Like, yeah, no, um, your purpose and profession have to be separate. Mm. Because if your purpose is tied into your profession, that's when you have these identity issues. Yeah. You have yeah. all these problems with, Sam isn't just a, you know, Sam isn't a human being. Sam's a soccer player. It's like, no, my purpose is not to be a pro athlete. That's my profession. That's my career. Um, I think your purpose has to be something a little more foundational that doesn't actually require you to do anything, but just to be. It's like, yeah, it's a, it's a tough, I think it's a tough thing to differentiate and to figure out and everyone has their own journey. Uh, that's just, this is just where I'm at right now. What do you think your purpose is? Um, I think uh, I, I was I wasn't able to figure it out, but I would say um, if I embark on another journey, for example, like if I want to do like a healthcare startup, then yeah. my purpose for that period will be you know helping more people to be more health aware and to get yeah. more healthy. Um, but I think listening to your perspective, it might be more helpful to recognize that we are a diverse human being. Like we don't want to give ourselves a label that's going to weigh our, ourselves down. It may be helpful for you to create a label, Soccer Sam, you know, that this is who I am, or, or like I'm a empty or a backpack guy. But, but in reality, there's so much uh, that made us who we are that we should not set a limit or a label to ourselves that, you know, can empower us to explore different things or, or output different content. Even Taylor Swift went through different type of changes. She was like the country girl. Now, now she's the, the pop star that everyone knows. So, you know, I think it's important to give yourself a vast, you know, uh, a purpose that you can not feel burdened and really explore different area. I, I, I don't think I've figured out one yet, but um, I think I will reflect more and uh, give myself like a broader one that I can be comfortable being myself. I love that. Thanks for yeah. sharing, brother. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, thank you for that. And then uh, volunteering, I, I, uh, I heard you talk about, you know, the way to find purpose is to do more volunteers uh, in one of your podcasts. 
Um, are you still doing any volunteers? You know, what is volunteer play in your life at the moment? So it would be giving of my time at, mm. at this stage to people who I think I might be able to teach. I was listening to a book called Buy Back Your Time by an author named Dan Martell. Very mm. impactful read. One of the things he said was he had a core principle in his life that was to learn, execute, and teach. So learn something new, execute on it in his own life, and then turn back and like reach back and, and share it with somebody else. One of the groups of people I love to volunteer my time with are young individuals who are looking for career guidance or mm. speaking help or um, entrepreneurial advice. I make time on my calendar for individuals like this all the time. Outside of giving of phone calls, um, I also think you can also give of your finances. Like I sponsor a family and you know, in a different area. I wouldn't technically consider that uh, volunteerism, but it brings me the same fulfillment as giving of my time does. Um, we still run pick waste once a year, so we just had our annual litter cleanup on July 7th. Um, and then uh, there's a, another aspect of volunteerism that I think is really helpful, and it's it's being of value to the people in my family. So, you know, taking my nunna grocery shopping. This <laughs> you know, this isn't classic. This isn't classic volunteerism, and you shouldn't get a round of applause for it. But that brings me a lot of joy and fulfillment, and I look forward uh, to those moments. Whereas in the past, maybe I would get upset when she'd call me, and I'd be like, "Oh, you know, you're bugging me to go help you do some stuff." It's like I, I had someone tell me recently, "Don't think about the time you have left left with people in terms of years." Uh, um, but calculate how many times you might see them in one year. And maybe some people only see their grandparents twice a year and they're 80, 90 years old. Well, you don't have maybe five years left. You have 10 visits. And it kind of shifts the way you look at those relationships. But uh, volunteerism is awesome because it exposes you to new people. You build relationships. Typically, if you're volunteering at something very specific, you might have similar values. Like we were, a, you know, a garbage litter cleanup initiative. So if you're coming to that, you probably care about the environment. Mm. Um, so you can build community through volunteerism. You can access job opportunities through volunteerism. And uh, you can access some fulfillment. I always felt very fulfilled when I volunteered and, get, and, and give back. So, um, yeah, today it looks like pouring into people who are looking for advice, sharing my thoughts and ideas, mentoring young individuals, um, and then doing pick waste every once in a while. That's absolutely amazing. I want to go back to one of the things you said, which is the, uh, you know, relationship that you are helping your uh, grandma and, and seeing how many times like you're able to see them for your lifetime. I always go I also go back to the book that I was reading about the Stoics. They 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 uh, have this concept of uh, uh, negative visualization. So what that means is that you imagine your uh, parents not being there anymore. You know, you you see them actually passing away. Mm. And even though it might seem like a negative thought, but uh, first of all, it will make you more appreciative that they're there for you at the moment. Second, when when that actually happens, you will feel less um, traumatized or, or, you know, destroyed if that ever actually happened. And I thought it's, it's, a, it's a great practice to have and, and uh, you know, may increase our happiness or even really valuing the time being with them. Um, yeah, that, that's just something that I uh, wanted to share. But yeah, <laughs> I appreciate you sharing that. I totally agree. It's like yeah. when you experience the situation in your mind a few times, when it actually happens, it's less of a 
it's less of a disturbance because you've already thought about it. When something happens out of the blue and it's a total surprise, you haven't given any thought to it. It disturbs you a lot. Um, it also, I think in that example you gave reminds us of our mortality. Like one day we are all going to die. So even visualizing things like that forces you to be more present and, and it goes back to valuing your time. Mm. It's like, if you're visualizing other people dying, maybe you'll start to value the time you have with them more and you'll value how you choose to spend yours. Um, so yeah, I love that idea. And I think I'll take that from this interview forward. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Taking less things for granted for the world. Uh, I think yeah. you know, that, that is the big thing. Okay. Um, and uh, anyway, so I, I want to learn more about your routines. I think, you know, any high performer have a set of routines and tools that they use to be on top of the game. So um, I want to know your, you know, what do you do in the morning to prepare yourself for the rest of your day? I have three, I have three routines, uh, a yeah. morning routine, a routine right before I start working. And then a routine before I go to bed. Um, I wake up every day around five 45, I brush my teeth. I do my bed. I take a green shake. I go outside, put on an audio book and I run for like 20 to 25 minutes. When I get back home, my friends meet me at the house. They meet me at six 30. We do yoga together, uh, for about 20 to 25 minutes. Around 7, 7, 10, we start a workout in the basement. We do like a weightlifting session, probably from about 7.25 to about 8.10. They go home. I go upstairs. I shower. And before I start my day, uh, I make a list and I call it today's agenda. And I time block the entire day. I actually have it right here. <laughs> uh, <nice>. And uh, <laughs> I, just time, I just write down what I'm going to be doing every single hour of the day. To make sure yeah. that I'm spending time where I want to be spending it um, and to ensure that the breaks that I have in my day, if I don't have certain meetings or, you know, appointments lined up that I'm not just not doing anything in the extra space. Mm-hmm. So I'll write down certain things I want to work on. So that would be my before work routine. I also just gave you my morning routine in terms of like the physical activities I do when I wake up. And then I have a nighttime routine. Uh, the first most important part of it is that I'm in bed around like 930. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that's like, that sounds super early and it's not going to yeah. work for everybody, but I wake up early and if I don't sleep before 10 o'clock, I know I'm not going to feel good the next day. Um, so I try my best. It doesn't always work out, but I try my best to be in bed by 930. Before I get in bed at 930, I'll do a little bit of stretching. I'll journal about my day. I might read a little bit of a paperback copy book, not an audio book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then... Of course, I brush my teeth, wash my face, and then go to sleep. Uh, I haven't heard the yoga part before. Is that something that you introduced uh, very recently? How, how had yoga been helping you? Because uh, that, that's always been a myth. Because you know, I, I never tried it, so I don't, I don't know what it helped you. But so, but but yeah, like, how did it help you? Yeah, that's a great question. Yoga is recent. I had a like three or four month period where I did it every single day before the mm. tour, and my body just felt amazing like my joints and everything. I've had some challenges with my knees and hips due to injuries and doing yoga consistently brought me a lot of healing and comfort in those difficult areas of my body. Um, During the tour, I stopped a lot of my, a lot of my routines suffered during the tour. Mm. One, because I was living with people who had different routines. So there Mm. was this pressure to do something else. (laughs) And secondly, which made it even easier to let go of the routines. We were so busy and I was so, in certain moments, I was so burnt out that I wasn't even thinking about the routine. I was so overwhelmed by the work and things that were ahead 
that I let them slide. And that's one of the things that I learned from the first tour, how important it was to maintain the routines. And so I've just now gotten back into most of my routines over the past month. Um, yoga has been incredibly impactful. Anyway, the, the two areas have been the most impactful is one with my personal body and the injuries that I've had, just making myself flexible and feel good. And the second yeah. thing is it's like a moving meditation. Some ah, people like sitting in silence and meditating. Yoga is all about focusing on your breath. So as you're going through these tough you know, movements, I would urge people that practice yoga to treat it like a moving meditation. And so it's almost like combining a stretching practice and meditation together. And for me, that's been really meaningful. Uh, how, how has stretching helping you? Because I, I never do stretch. <laughs> I know I, I should do more. Um, but yeah, how, how did stretching helping you? Yeah. Um, I noticed also you've used the word should a few times. You don't, yeah. you, there's nothing that you should do. And I think it's a, <laughs> I had a mentor tell me this like a couple of days ago. I was yeah. telling them I, I should name the next tour X, Y, and Z. And she said, mm. oh, wait, why, why should you? It, it, it's, it's yours. You can name it whatever you want. And I was like, yeah. oh, you know, yeah, so there's nothing we should do. It's, it's like, right. um, for me, I love stretching because I know if I don't, at some point in the future, likely I'll lose mobility in my body. I don't want to lose mobility. I want to be plan to be 90 years old, picking up my grandkids and being able to walk and jog, hopefully at a slow pace, maybe, but still able to move. And I think stretching and yoga and any practice that uses the body and keeps it mobile is, is important. And so uh, I've also had a loss of mobility with certain injuries in my knees and hips. And I find that when I stretch, I feel a little better. There's not as much mm. pain. So um, maybe it's a proactive practice for you because you might not have injuries. But I had a quote that said, people with health have a thousand dreams and people without health have one. You know, yeah. <laughs> so Stretching is just one of those things that will help keep you flexible and mobile. Yeah. Yeah, I can already feel, um, you know, the immobility in, in is catching up to me because I, I do do a lot of uh, weightlifting. Yeah. And sometimes it's heavy on the muscle. And if you don't relax it, it's going to be hard to move later on. And I do hope to, you know, run. Uh, my mom is a huge inspiration for me. She run ultra marathon. So oh, she run no. like 24 hours overnight for 100 kilometers. And, you know, th that just keep inspiring me. So I, I think I, I do want to do something like that in the future. I, I'm, I'm running a half marathon in October. Um, so, yeah. So I'm trying to introduce more stretching. I think that will be very helpful. That's awesome. Let me know yeah. how it goes. Yeah, I also for sure. Have lots of YouTube yoga recommendations. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. If, if you want to join, let's uh, we can run the marathon together. But uh, yeah, let me know. Um, yeah. And uh, what is the book that you would give or recommend to others that you know that has made a big impact in your life? I, I know you talked about the Almanac of Navarro Avocant. Is there any other book that? you usually give to other or you really uh, uh, recommend? Yeah, I, I usually start by asking people what they're challenged by right now or what they're mm. hoping to improve because there's books for everything. Um, I think once you have an idea of what you want to improve, it's a lot easier to find a book worth reading. You know, you don't want to just read any book. Um, you want to try and choose something that's going to help solve a problem you're currently having. So I'll start by asking, uh, you know, what is the problem or what do you want to improve? But if I was just giving some general recommendations, 
I would definitely send them to the Almanac of Naval Ravikant. I would share The Algebra of Happiness by Scott Galloway. That's been an influential book recently. I would share Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. I would share um, How to Win Friends and Influence People by you know Dale Carnegie. I would share Empty Your Backpack by Sam. <laughs> the I, classic. I think those are some of those are great places to start, but I think it's very important to be intentional with your reading. Reading yeah. can be entertaining, but I think it's even more impactful when it's educational. And for it to be valuable, you have to choose something you want to work on and then find books that fill the need. Absolutely. I would highly recommend the last one. Everyone should check out MQ Backpack. <laughs> um, okay. The last question, how can people find you, Sam? Um, you know, social media or websites? Yeah, search my name on Google. You can find my Instagram there. You can find Facebook, LinkedIn. You can find my website. If you want to find the book, you search Empty Your Backpack. But those would be the two things, my name or the book title. Absolutely. It's an honor to have you on and uh, had a such great time talking to you, catching up. Um, you know, Sam, you're inspiration for me and also I believe for, you know, a lot of the kids out there. Um, but yeah, it's great, uh, you know, talking to you, man. Thanks for challenging me with some thought provoking questions. I really appreciate it. Right? <laughs> this has been an insightful conversation and I hope you continue to do more. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to this episode of Ideas Can Wait podcast. If you have taken something away from this episode and really enjoyed our conversation, it will mean the world to me if you can leave a review on wherever you're listening or watching. It will help this podcast to reach more like-minded people like you. Thanks again, and I'll see you in the next one.